get in and study out uh, a passage here in the book of Luke. And it's an interesting passage, and the title of the lesson today is Table Talk. I'm not sure what uh, you did this last week. Um, Patty and I had the opportunity for literally for the first time in like, like 20 years, we did not cook, <laughs> plural, notice the plural, we did not cook Thanksgiving meal. We went down to Austin and we spent time with uh, Blake and Grant and uh, Blake's uh, in-laws. And so we had 18 people in a two-bedroom condo. You really get to know people when you have that many people in such a small room, a small house or apartment. But it was fun. The eating was good. It was an encouraging time. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I had my first bowl of uh, oatmeal last night in my repentance of uh, Thursday. And so uh, I'll need to eat oatmeal probably now for the next two months. So <laughs> we shall see. But, you know, there's a section here in Luke. And for those of us uh, in the Northwest, uh, you know that we've been doing this series. And for the Southwest, what I've been doing over, uh, when I've been preaching, I've been doing a series called uh, The Journey to Jerusalem. It's Jesus' decision to go to Jerusalem basically to die. He knows he's about to die. And so he takes off, and we don't know how long this journey lasted. Three weeks? We know there's a couple Sabbath days in there. Could have been a couple months? We don't know. But we know starting roughly in Luke chapter 9, he makes a decision to go to Jerusalem, and he gets in Jerusalem in about chapter 18. And so what he does, he takes his disciples, and literally from chapter 9 to chapter 18 in Luke, you see all these different things that Jesus is teaching his disciples, getting them prepared. And I want to start at the last part of Luke chapter 14. It's kind of like the theological high point of this journey. And we're going to pick it up at the end of the table talk, the end of the dinner that he had. And you see here in Luke chapter 14, these are the last things he said. And a lot of times the last things you say are the most important things that you want to get across. So here in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him. Now we don't know if he was walking or if they were with him at the dinner, but large crowds were with Jesus. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he will lay a foundation and is not able to finish, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king is about to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first de deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. 
So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is neither no, no use, either for the soil, nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus, the end of the dinner. Everyone's sitting there, full, lively discussion. And Jesus says, do you get it? Do you get what it means to really follow me? Have you counted the cost? And it's really an abrupt ending to perhaps a lively debate or discussion at a probably filling Thanksgiving meal. Do you get it? You know, we're driving down to Austin to spend time, and every time I think, I, I think it's about west, that area, west Texas, and there's a building on the right-hand side as you go south, and it's a metal frame. And there's a couple other places right around it, but this metal frame has been sitting there probably for about 10 years. And it's rotting. And I remember just driving by like, man, I wonder how much it costs to put that cement down and put that frame up and it's just sitting there now. I wonder who spent all that money to plan to build that frame and foundation and it's just sitting there not being used. I'm like, man, that was a bad investment. That wasn't smart. They didn't prepare. They didn't think it out. Something must have happened. And see, I think for us, the older I get, the more I appreciate the precious faith that it takes to make a decision to, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do it his way and not my way. I'm going to take these ears that God has blessed me with, and evidently he wants me to hear something. So there's really four simple points, four things to think about. And I want us to think about this as we go through this talk, and, and basically it's we've got to be able to hear, or we've got to be able to love with our hearts, trust in our heads, serve with our hands, and hear with our ears. So four very simple points that I believe Jesus, during this table talk, wanted his disciples to really understand. And pick it up here now, chapter 14, verse 1. So beginning of the table talk. Beginning of Thanksgiving with Jesus. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the, of the Pharisees, invited Jesus over to Thanksgiving. They were watching him carefully. And behold, a man just popped up in front of Jesus who had dropsy. It's a fluid retention issue. Probably swelling, painful in the joints. And, and just, you can tell the deformity because of all the swelling going on. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees who were having dinner with Jesus saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, 
Which of you that are sitting here with me, if you had a son or an ox that had fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, would not immediately pull them out, and they could not reply to these things. <laughs> you, ever, you ever sit down and you're having dinner, and all of a sudden someone says something really awkward? <laughs> awkward, you know, oh, this is a tense moment, <laughs> you know? It's like, I can't believe they just said that. And you just kind of like let it just kind of like drift away, hopefully that not everyone heard the awkward comment. And so Jesus is sitting here at the Pharisees, the ruler of the Pharisees' house, and this guy just happens to show up that had obviously a very physical in, 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 uh, ailment. Jesus is like, okay, you know what? You're going to throw down? I'm going to throw back at you. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And it's this big discussion. It's a, it's a what's the problem here? Really, this is the problem? You put this guy in front of me that has an illness, and you're so concerned about your rules and regulations that this guy is suffering, and is it legal or not? Is it lawful or not to heal this guy? You know, in the Jewish template, the Jewish thought is that if you were poor, or if you were, had some sort of physical ailment, obviously that was the judgment of God on you. You did something wrong. So God's getting you back. Really? See, the Pharisees and the rulers, or the Pharisees and lawyers were the keeper of the rules. They were keepers of the law. They were, they were not only keeping the Torah, but they were adding so much more to it. And see, rules in of themselves are not bad. But when rules get in the way of loving people, And see, what happened was that there was a dispute versus love. And the issue is, is that the Pharisees, the lawyers, were not loving with their hearts. The Pharisees and lawyers were fo so focused on the rules that they didn't see the bigger picture. And he gives, Jesus gives an illustration. Which of you, if your child fell into a pit? Which of you, if you had an ox that you needed to live on, would, if it fell into a well, that you would not get it out. You know, I know as I get older, my life gets grayer. When I first got baptized, when I was like 21 years ago, it was so good to have everything black or white, right or wrong. It was so easy to delineate, like, oh, obviously that's right, or oh, obviously that's wrong. It's like, you know, it's a clear divide. But now as I get older, oh, I start seeing the other side of the coin. I start seeing the bigger problem, the issues, and, and things aren't so easily explained. So much easier when you can just say, good or bad, right or wrong. And see, Jesus is like, really? Really? You get caught up in your religion, you get caught up in your, your, your thoughts, or your, you get so focused on what you think is right. And, and there's another section of John, in John, we're not going to look at it 
right now, but what happens is that there's a woman caught in adultery, so they bring the woman in front of Jesus. I love reading that because I'm like, where's the man? You grab the woman and you bring her in front of everyone, and she's probably scantily dressed because they caught her in the, in the act. And so she's there, probably half naked in front of Jesus. What should we do? The law says stoner. Really? Really? Jesus bends down. He starts drawing on the sand. We don't know what he draws, but I guarantee it. I bet you what he was doing is that he was drawing in the sand sin, like adultery, impurity, lusting with your eyes, hatred, anger, jealousy. He's probably just writing it in the sand for everyone to see. And then Jesus says, which of you, without sin, throw the cast the first stone? So it says in John, what happened is that the older ones, or beginning with the older ones, left. And you can imagine, you know, like, like George, and then Steve, and then Alan, and then, and then it just kind of goes down the list, you know, Mark, and it gets down to the, to the singles, and then the campus, and, and then you have those teens with those rocks, and like, oh, it's black and white, I want to throw this stone. And you're looking around, it's like, man, where's Mark at? Where's Todd? Where's Les? They're all gone. Why? Oh, he who without sin cast the first stone. You know, twice in Matthew, Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, I can get so caught up in my opinions I can get so caught up in my convictions, my standards, that I have to ask myself, do I have the love of God in my heart? And so the lesson for point number one is meeting people's needs are more important than man-made traditions. Now again, don't be unwise and say, oh, rules are, okay, we can throw out all rules. Yeah. <laughs> no. You need to wear clothes. <laughs> you know, you need, there, there's some resemblance of order that's a good thing. But when they start, when you start loving the rules more than you love people, you haven't counted the cost. Keep on looking in Luke chapter 14. Now in verse 7, Jesus continues. And again, remember, they're at dinner. They're at Thanksgiving. Awkward moment, awkward silence just happened. So Jesus says, okay, you know, let's, let's take this a little bit farther now. He says, verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you are invited by him. And when he invited both you and him will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. You know, do you know how intelligent, sly, fast you need to be to get your food and to get a good place in front of the TV before 17 other people get their food? <laughs> I mean, it's an art. I mean, you don't want to be prideful. You don't want to be arrogant. You got to, you know, when you're 240 pounds, I mean, you know, you got to, it's like an elf. You just got to move quickly. Because if you don't get that seat, you're going to be behind other people's heads trying to watch the Cowboys lose. And they did not disappoint. You know, I got to get my food. I like my food warm. I, I, I'm 53 years old. I got to get a good seat. There's younger people. They can sit on the floor. And so what you do is you reserve it. You put your phone on the chair. Or the keys. Or your drink. And then you can say, obvious friend, that's my seat. <laughs> I was sitting there before you came there. Patty, get up. Get in the back. <laughs> you know, we want to climb. We want to climb the social ladder. We want to climb the, the recognition. We want to climb and assume my, my position or my rights. And see, what happens is Jesus wants us to understand as his disciples is that you've got to trust with your head. God knows. God knows what you need. Don't be like the pagans who run after position, run after, you know, their rights. Trust. Be humble. Trust with your head. Learn humility. You know, I remember when I was in chiropractor school, I say this to my shame. There was a guy in my school, this is, I was like in my third year maybe, and you know, God bless me with a number of people, you know, becoming disciples. And, and there's a guy, um, Alan, and, you know, we, we were study partners. We'd study, we'd, you know, just a really great guy. And finally, you know, it's like, hey, come to church. You know, I think you'll really enjoy it. And or come to, let's read the Bible. And, you know, what, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but he started reading the Bible, started studying the Bible. And, you know, because I was a student, um, you know, my time was limited, and I could only have so much, but I'd still bring people to church, and this guy started coming, and, and he started studying the scriptures. And, and my friend, Jim Mitchell, who is the campus minister in that area, um, he was leading the studies. And we're studying, we're studying, we're studying, and Alan wanted to make Jesus Lord. He wanted to get baptized. Wanted to have his sins washed away. Start anew. And, and he, got, he was getting baptized. And it was like after church, and we went downstairs, and Alan asked Jim Mitchell to baptize him. What about me? Dude, I, I go to school with you. Dude, I'm the one that brought you to church. Dude. I'm the one that's the older brother here, and, and you're here because of me. And you asked Jim to baptize you? 
I was totally insulted. And so they're up, and they're taking confession, and, and they're praying and singing, and I was in the crowd just watching, fuming, angry, because I wasn't baptism. I just remember just standing there watching the baptism and just seething inside my heart. My arrogance was, was, just, was just dripping off of me. But I didn't see it. I saw that I was being unappreciated, unloved, unrecognized. And, you know, it's funny. I don't remember if I was even convicted that day. I don't know when I finally got convicted of my pride. It could have been years later when I remembered the story. You know, we run after all sorts of things. Because we allow in our heads the world's expectations. How do I look? Am I being acknowledged? What about me? My rights? I should be up front. I should get the better seat. I should get the first plate. Me. You know, Albert Einstein had this quote. One of many. I love this one. He says, try not to become a man of success, but rather become a man of value. Man. A man of value. Character. Humility. Am I going to do it God's way or my way? And see, the personal mark of a disciple of Jesus is humility. Humility. You, 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 you go up front. You, you go first. Now I'm okay. You go. Hey, you know what? Share about this person. Hey, this is what this person did. Not be concerned about whether or not people see you. But are they seeing the other? And see, Jesus wanted his disciples to trust in their heads. Keep on going, verse, Luke 14, verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him. Now Jesus turns to the guy, and, he's, and he goes, okay, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they... Also invite you in return, and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Serve. Serve with your hands. You know, Jesus was really challenging this, this mindset of, you know, kind of payback. You know, control. Well, if I invite George, or, you know, I'll invite the Taylors, and, you know, we'll go to Chipotle. <laughs> and then if I'm lucky, they're going to invite me to go get steak. <laughs> and, it's, and what you're doing is you're manipulating you're trying to control the situation. I'm going I'm to invite you because I expect it in return. Now, Jim, you know, you know if you want to go get steak, that's okay. I mean, 
They hate Chipotle, so I'm not worried about that. You know, do you want to have a real feast? Jesus is telling this guy, you want to have a real party? You really want to have something that just blow away? Serve those who can't serve you back. You want to really build up treasures in heaven and get paid back in an incredible way? Serve those who can't pay you back. I remember when Blake and Grant's actually done this too. When they go down, when they went to Austin to go to school, and I remember when Blake was living with Nathan, you know, they would like, Dad, man, we're going out tonight. We're going to go feed the homeless in Austin. We're getting all this food, and we're going out there, and we're going, and, and we're even talking about sleeping overnight. You know, and I was like, Dad, you know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, you're serving the poor. That's good. Then when he started about talking about sleeping out on the streets also, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not take this serving thing a little bit too far. <laughs> now you got to be safe. you got to be wise. But you know what? Honestly, probably would have been okay. You know, this is an incredible, generous church. You know, we had our Hope Day of Giving a few weeks ago, and the church was very generous. Most of you were generous. That money multiplied 10 times. No, seriously, I won't, that's actually a good point to think about for a second. Did you give for the Hope Day of Giving? You know, did you, if you knew that whatever you put in the plate would be multiplied 10 times, because that's what hope does, would you be like, man, it's going to be multiplied 10 times, so I'm going to put a dollar in there. It's $10. But you know what? There are a lot of people that gave zero. So why don't you at least throw a dollar in? Let hope multiply it 10 times. Or here's $10, 100 times. Man, you know what? There's $100. For those of us that would multiply, that's $1,000. Did you put anything in? No, seriously. Did you? Now, this is an incredibly generous church. But see, the, the, I would rather have everybody give than everybody serve those who can't serve them back. Does my serving extend beyond my people? Those who I expect something back in return? Or do I serve those who have no capacity to return the favor? And see, the point Jesus is trying to get across here is that you've got to serve those who cannot repay you. So Jesus continues. He's not done. Verse 15 in chapter 14. But when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. Now you can imagine this situation. Just, just pause for a second. Instead of sitting at a table and having Thanksgiving, you literally, you have this, maybe this little table, maybe like about six inches, 12 inches high, and then you have these ring of couches or pillows around, and you're in this small room, 
and, you know, perhaps even smaller than most of our bedrooms. And literally, you're like just surrounded. You have um, people laying on their elbows up against the, the cushions or sitting there and just kind of relaxing, reclining and eating. And Jesus is really, man, he's, he's slicing and dicing, you know, as we're talking like, wow, that was awkward. <laughs> like, wow, that was challenging. Like, man, look at Jesus. And someone sitting there goes, blessed. Blessed is he who sits at the table of the feast of God. We don't know his, his alternative. You don't know his motive. Was he getting it? Or, or is there religious expectation, assumptions going on here? It's not a bad statement in of itself, but what's behind it? Is there an assumption like, like, you know, blessed are people like us sitting at this feast with Jesus. Blessed are those who are guaranteed admission to the kingdom of God. Those who God's blessing seems apparent. The healthy, the wealthy, and the wise. Hmm, okay. Let me tell you another parable. But he said to him, a man, a man once gave a great banquet. And invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go examine them. I will go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the street and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Man, can you imagine this? Jesus is, is you know, this guy is like, blessed is he who tastes the banquet of the Lord. And, and Jesus immediately goes into this, this parable about, okay, this king, he's going to have a big banquet, a feast. He sends out invitations. The, the responses, RSVPs, all came back in. Yes, we're coming. So he sends out his servant, and what they do is they send out the servant within the hour that the meal will finally be done. Sends out the servants on the day, the time, and then all of a sudden, this flow of excuses start coming in. Preoccupation with the material affairs of life that actually now become traps. Oh, I just bought a field. I need to go check it out. You don't buy a field without first checking it out. Oh, I just bought a new car. It's Christmas. And all these commercials say this is the best time to buy a Lexus. So I'm going to go buy a car. You don't 
go check out the car. You've already checked it out before you buy it. And these people are, are getting so caught up in materialism, these materialistic affairs of life, that they're like, yeah, no, 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 no. I want to get, I want to be involved in my, my land and my oxen versus coming to your banquet. And then these family relationships that cripple the costly committed attitude of a disciple. You don't, you're not invited to this big banquet of the king and decide, you know what, I know the king's getting, having a big banquet today, but I'm going to go ahead and set up my wedding date on that day. Two, three months in the future. I just got married. Obviously, I can't come. We will not come. We know we're invited. We know we RSVP'd. We know someone came and got us, but we're not going to come. You know, we're, we're sitting here and you know, like, dog, those are stupid people. But how many of us do that? How many of subconsciously do that? Jesus wants us to count the cost. He wants us to consider, is this what we really want? And so the king is snubbed. But the cool thing about the king is that he is not going to abandon the party. He's like, you know what? Oh, you rascals, okay. <laughs> You're not going to come. I invited you. I did my part. I love you. I'm sacrificing for you. I did these things for you. But you're not going to come? Okay, you're not going to taste this banquet. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm still going to have a party, and it's going to be an incredible party. And servants, you go out, and you get people who are really going to appreciate this party. So they all come in. Woo, we did what you wanted us to do, but there's still more room. Go farther. Go even farther. The highways and the hedges. I never knew what that meant. I just heard the song, you know, Brother Werthel. Oh, the, and the hedges, you know. Okay, you don't know, know that song, okay. George is the only one that gets that, okay. So, he's not going to abandon the party. Bring in those who will really appreciate this party. You know, that's the key to you making it or not. Are you going to maintain your gratitude? More than a week, more than a year, more than a decade. Are you going to hold on to your appreciation for the whole, your whole life? Or are you going to get to the point where like, yeah, I, I know this discipleship stuff, and I know what's expected. I, I hear this call. I, I, know, I hear this expectation. I, I get it, but you know what, man? I just, I just bought this farm, and I just bought this new house and this car, and it's just kind of taking me away, my responsibilities financially. And, you know, and, and, you know, I got married, and this relationship with my kids, and it's kind of, you know, I just can't respond right now. I can't do this discipleship stuff right now. I'll do it next week. Bring in those who are appreciative. Bring in those who can't pay you back. And so it's a scandal. Because those who have ears to hear did not hear the call. 
Can you imagine that? You're sitting at, the, you're sitting at this meal with Jesus, and, and you're like, you know, you want to kind of say something theological, <laughs> you know, in front of Jesus. And it's like, oh, blessed is he who tastes the bread of the kingdom of the heaven, the Father. And Jesus is like, oh, you don't get it. Because you know what? Your people were called, and most of them aren't responding. Am I so focused? Am I so focused on my finances and my family that it keeps me from hearing the invitation from God and truly enjoying the banquet feast? Am I willing to love with my heart? Am I willing to trust and be humble with my head? Am I willing to serve with my hands those who can't pay me back? Do I hear with my ears the call to the feast? And then we know the rest of the story. We know Jesus then throws down the, you want to follow me? Everything else. Got to be second. Got to hate. You got to put me first. You got to do it my way, not the world's way. You got to do it my way. You got to count the cost. You got to sit down. Am I willing to do this? John chapter 6, 60, it says, many disciples deserted Jesus. And then he goes to the 12. He goes, do you want to leave too? Do you? And I love Peter's response. Where do we go? Who else has words of life? Where am I going to go? <laughs> That's how I feel. Where am I going to go? I have nowhere else to go. So I'm going to learn to love. Going to learn how to be humble. Going to learn how to serve. I'm going to learn how to hear. Because this is the cost that Jesus wants us to count as we follow Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father,